0: All right, guys, this is episode 50, 50, 50 of Stone and Clay. I'm your host, Taylor Church. Um, I got new mics. I got a new podcast desk. I got a candle. Um, reminds me of the last person I dated because I always lit the candle because so romantic. Um, so, yeah, yeah, my candle makes me sad, if that's what you're wondering. Um, and my last episode was about the breakup, so we're still broken up, um, still a little bit sad, but um but yeah, you know we're moving forward and been on some dates, went on a date tonight, for goodness sake. um and I'll tell you what I'm gonna be honest, you know, if you listen to the last episode. It was really tough, and I was really struggling for a little bit, and I have found a lot of strength and a lot of peace in prayer and in seeking my higher power, but I mean aggressively seeking. I don't mean just... Praying and believing in God and being faithful and whatever, I mean aggressively seeking my higher power. Whatever that means, that's what I've done. And what I've learned in this, in this crucible, this emotional crucible, is that God doesn't necessarily take away your pain, but he helps you bear it and he mitigates it and he gives you peace when you can't find it. And I'm grateful for that. Um, today's episode is going to be about my trip to India that I got back from a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been meaning to do the pod earlier, but listen, I was upgrading. I was getting some good some good new mics, um, and I'm excited. But I have to say, just because this is so just weighing on my heart, Um, something pretty crazy happened this week and a, um, a friend of mine, um, tried to take his life and, and he's okay now. Um, but I happened to be there at the time, um, and it was, it was a harrowing experience and it was really... More than anything, you know, sure, you could say it was it was traumatizing, it was heavy, it was sad, it was a lot of adjectives, but more than anything, it was heartbreaking, and it was a reminder that a lot of people out there are experiencing a tremendous amount of unfathomable pain, pain that's really hard to understand or relate to, and... He said some things in those dark hours that I've never heard a person say um, in the, that moment of desperation, that moment of, of fear and vulnerability. And, um, you know, it, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things and, you know, I don't want to go into too many details because I know it's, it's a private matter. Um, between him and his his close friends and family but um i'm I'm just so grateful that I was there and was able to get him out of that darkness um, and in into safer hands and um and yeah, I'm gonna move on to lighter topics, but it's just a reminder that not everyone you know is doing well. And a lot of people don't know where to put their pain and what to do with it. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can save a life or you can do something drastic to change someone's state, but if nothing else, you can you can have a little more compassion, a little more patience for those that... um just for, for anyone, anyone that's around you. So, um, had kind of a heavy heart the past couple months, honestly. Um, India was a great respite from all, you know, this was the, the trip was post breakup, pre, um, whatever that was. But, um, but yeah, my, my heart's been heavy and it's funny. I've been working this corporate job for a couple of years now, maybe, maybe more like a year and a half, a year and eight, nine months, but I'm work. I've been working this corporate job that I haven't loved, but it's been, it's been good, steady job, good pay. Um, it's all work from home. And the day after my, my friend was, was put in the hospital. Um, and I was up till 9 a.m. with him and some of his family. Um, <laughs> you know, I slept for like three hours. And then I had a meeting for work and I got laid off. And I remember thinking, you know, this was just like a week ago. I remember thinking, wow, um, okay. <laughs> Don't really care. Um there's much more important things happening in my life right now. And I really just don't care. So thanks for telling me. You know, it felt like <laughs> it felt like casual news. And I was like, I'm going back to bed. And granted, I'm in a state where I'm not, you know, I'm not worried. Um, I have some severance, I have some savings, I have a good network of people that can help me get different employment i would love to just focus on this podcast and writing and other um creative endeavors but i need a little you know i need some steady income um but my goal is is to get there in the next few years you know maybe it's 3 years maybe it's 8 years but um i will get there but um but yeah just in, in the midst of all the things I was experiencing, you know, letting me go from a job I, you know, was very unpassionate about, anyways. I was like, okay, you know, to me, it felt um, tantamount to somebody saying, hey, um, we're going to up your rent $10 a month. I was like, yeah, okay, kind of sucks, but. Whatever it's not gonna change my life that much. Um, so yeah um interesting week, interesting last couple months of my life, and you know i I'm listen, I'm doing fine, I really am just emotionally exhausted in a lot of ways. And actively looking for reasons to to be grateful and to learn. And always, I'm always looking for silver linings for reasons to be happy. Because sometimes happiness is tough, you know. It doesn't necessarily come when you want it. It doesn't necessarily stick around as long as you think it should. And often you think, well, it's just around the corner, but then you get around the corner and it's, it's not there. It's not there waiting for you. Or it's there waiting for you, but then it slips away just as soon as you touch it. Um, so when you have it, you have to be grateful. You have to celebrate it and you have to live in that moment. And you can't be distracted by your phone or by some frivolous activity you have to feel it and you have to be there because it'll go away. It certainly will. And that's not, that's not pessimism. That's not bemoaning the state of life. That's just reality. And, and sometimes it sticks around for a while and life feels good and it feels effortless and it feels rich and full. But, uh, there will certainly come a day when you'll get knocked on your tuckus because somebody you know will get sick or something you love will go away. You know, it's just it's the natural state of things. So you have to have things that bring you joy and you have to relish in moments of happiness. Um, so yeah, this India trip... I had an old roommate like 10 years ago, Um, and when I say 10, I mean 13, that uh, moved in with me and some high school friends straight from India. I'm talking his first day in America was his first day as our roommate, and he was always a nice kid, always, you know, like kind of funny, not like... You know, I'm not going to put him on a top 10 list of funniest friends I've ever had, but it was kind of funny. And most people aren't funny. A lot of people have good senses of humor, but most people are not funny. But he was kind of funny and, you know, interesting. I had never lived with somebody from Asia, let alone India. And um, he was just going to BYU, good accounting program, and we became close. And I think he only lived with us for maybe a year and a half or so. But we always, you know, um, kept in touch. You know, there's about five of us from high school that, um, that lived with him and kept in touch. And then he went to my buddy's wedding, I think, seven years ago. And that was the last time we saw him. But we actually kept in touch. Like, we would have the occasional phone call. Um you know, text here and there, of course, but, uh, I feel like if you're actually making phone calls, you're keeping in touch. So, um, yeah, he was just a special kid. And at the time, you know, I think he was, what, he was 18, you know, fresh, fresh off the boat. And, you know, we were a few years older. And so, um, anyways, he hit me and, some of our other friends up a couple months ago and was like, hey, I'm getting married in India and I'd love for you guys to be there. It would mean a lot. And listen, I always wanted to go to India. Like, I think I've always been fascinated by the fact that it's so highly populated. Like, I, I want to go to China too. But India seems more beautiful, more... I don't want to say rustic, but um more romantic i don't know like china seems so just like business everyone there seems so serious and i'm sure one day i'll go to china and i will love it but india has always sounded more interesting and more beautiful and so um me and one of my best friends who's married jumped at the opportunity um, so him and his wife came, so it was just us three a few others wanted to come wasn't super realistic with their lives um India's a commitment, <laughs> and you don't want to go there for four or five days, you know, so we went for i think nine total days. I mean, with travel, we were really only there about a week but um but yeah we uh we got you know flights were expensive, but we uh, we stayed in a nice hotel that was paid for by our friend and his family. So we were pretty, pretty hooked up and we're like, you know what? How often does somebody invite you to India? And how often do you actually have things to do when you get there? So he was awesome and gave us a lot of ideas of things we could do and places we could go that were within reason. I didn't realize... India was so massive. I guess it's about a third of the size of the United States and that's counting Alaska. Um, But the United States has about 400 million people and India has 1.4 billion people. So, kind of crazy. And that was one of the things that was so interesting to me. I would like we got a tour guide and we went through this company that like provides you with like drivers and tour guides. And sometimes they, they kind of do both, but for most of our trip, we had these guys with us throughout a lot of the day, most of the day. And, and they were amazing, awesome local guys. And so I would always, I would always ask them questions about, you know, well, how many people live in this state, or or how many people are in this city, and obviously stuff I could look up myself, but on these trips, I try to stay off my phone as much as possible besides um, taking pictures, so my phone's out a lot, but I try not to be Googling stuff and checking Instagram and, and stuff like that. I'll do that a little bit when we're like back at the hotel at night, but I feel like you know, if you're going to do that on vacation, do it if you're in like San Diego or Chicago or someplace with not a lot of novelty. But when you're in a new country that you've never been to, everything's new, the culture, the food, the smells, you really got to soak that in. And on those long days of seeing as much as you can, you you know, your phone battery can dry up pretty quick anyway, so it, it's good to stay off it. But I remember asking them... Let's see, I wrote a few of these down. These are some crazy numbers. So in one of the states we were in, it has um, Uttar Pradesh. There's no way I'm saying that right. Um, But Uttar Pradesh, they would call it UP. It was about 94,000 square miles. Now mind you, Utah is about 85,000 miles. So a little bit bigger than Utah. Um, I guess it's roughly the size of France. Um, France has about 67 million people. Utah has got 3 or 4 million people. Um, Uttar Pradesh has 243 million people. So that was (laughs) pretty mind-blowing. That's one state a little bit bigger than Utah and has, like, I'm not great at math, but, you know, like, United States 400 million. This is 243 million. It's crazy. It's, it's its own fricking country, but it's one little state. And then we went to another state called Rajasthan, um, 78 million people. Okay, cool. Um, and the other two states we went to, Haryana, 25 million, Delhi, 33 million. So, um, Let's see. I've been to some some densely populated places. I've been to Mexico, but I haven't been to Mexico City. So, actually, I'm not going to count that. Um, I've been to Sao Paulo, which is very densely populated. Um, so is Rio de Janeiro, where I lived. But Sao Paulo has crazy numbers. I can't remember what they are. But um, the metropolitan Sao Paulo is, I think, in top 10 of most populated places, most populated cities. Um. Obviously New York, but um, I don't know. You've been to New York a couple of times. It kind of doesn't feel that special anymore, especially because you see it on TV every day. Um, but that's it. You know, haven't been to China, haven't been to Nigeria, haven't been to Bangladesh, haven't been to Pakistan, a lot of these really, you know, highly populated places. So this was crazy because <laughs> it sounds trite to say this, but there's just literally people everywhere and the traffic was unbelievably insane. You know, in a lot of places it felt like it was like 80% motorcycles, uh, 20% cars, uh, a lot of bikes, but it just seemed like there were no rules or laws. Definitely. No one's getting pulled over for not blinking, you know? Um, and there's so many people you literally can't speed. So it, in a weird way, it felt really safe. Like our drivers were doing some crazy maneuvers. And even <laughs> one time they clipped um, a car's mirror and like our driver didn't say anything. The car no- that got clipped saw it, didn't really react. Um a lot of cars and motorcycles had a lot of scratches and dents on them but i didn't see a single accident i didn't see i don't know there's so much traffic you just can't go fast and so people are doing crazy maneuvers especially in the motorcycles but i don't know it just uh it just works <laughs> and everyone there is super aggressive because you have to be so no, i feel like no one gets mad because they're just like, oh yeah, like, that's what they had to do, and everyone's honking constantly, but it's not out of rage. It's almost like, hey, I'm coming up behind you. Hey, I'm darting in front of you. Um, so yeah, it was just cool to see see how how things work differently. It it made me feel like everybody that's like complaining about traffic in America it's like dude get a grip you have no idea um you have no idea and um yeah so what else let's see i won't i won't go through the whole rigmarole of i said that weird but um of explaining all the places we went and all the touristy stuff we saw there were some really really beautiful things we saw, mostly like Hindu temples. They're amazing. And some of them we saw were really, really old. Obviously in Agra, we saw the Taj Mahal, which was unbelievably majestic. You see it in pictures, but it just was special. Um, And that's when, that was, it's funny, we saw that on our first day. We like landed on like no sleep. Our tour guide picked us up, we drove a few hours, Saw the Taj Mahal before sunset at sunset, actually, um it's funny, our tour guide was like, "Uh, just so you know this will be the best thing you'll see the whole trip." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, dang, and he's kinda right um but yeah, it was so beautiful, but at this like amazing gigantic mausoleum is where we realized we were celebrities. And me, my friend and his lovely wife, people started like lining up to take pictures with us. And, you know, I've, I've lived out, I've lived outside of the U S and I've been to a lot of third world countries. And I know sometimes they get enamored with Americans or not even enamored, just surprised and happy to see them. Um, especially in smaller villages and stuff where they're not used to, seeing tourists, but um, I thought it was interesting at such a touristy spot, there was not a lot of um, Westerners, there just wasn't. I feel like, and there were thousands of people, And and maybe hundreds, but, you know, people were coming in and out, so it's really hard to gauge, but there was so many people at the Taj Mahal, and I feel like maybe a handful of people that weren't Indian, so it was crazy. All the tourists were Indian. Um, and yeah, people just started lining up, taking pictures. And <laughs> guess what? I liked it. Now, I know if this happened every day of my life, if I was a true celebrity, it would probably get old and tiresome and annoying. But listen, I wasn't mad at the attention. And I just thought it was kind of cute. I was like, you want a picture of me just because I'm tall and my skin is bare? Okay. <laughs> like if that's cool to you sweet let's do it like um you know i didn't want to like waste my whole day taking pictures but i was happy to take a few here and there thought it was amusing a lot of them couldn't really speak much english but they would just look at us and say selfie selfie and uh i said sure sure (laughs) if you want a picture with me not sure why happy to do it but um So that was interesting. Um, Let's see. The caste system. The caste system was wild. I've known about it, you know, for however long. But um, it is very alive and real. It's not just this ancient cultural thing. It is current and very much alive and again I asked our drivers I asked our tour guides I asked people at the wedding about it and um, I got very different responses from people at the wedding at the wedding both families very wealthy a lot of them have relatives that live in the United States um, so you know they themselves are in a different cast but a lot of them made it sound like it was kind of this antiquated thing and it wasn't really, um, I guess they made it sound like the caste system didn't matter to them. They didn't consider it all that often. Whereas the, the poorer people I talked to, they made it sound like, yeah, that's how everything runs to the caste. Like, you marry within your caste, you get your job based on your caste, you... Like, er, people can tell what caste you are just by looking at you. Um, and I thought that was so fascinating. And, you know, if you don't know, the caste system is kind of, it's almost its almost like apartheid. Not quite. Um, because it's not mandated by the state. There's nothing in the state law that says, like, because you are caste... A, B, or C, you have to do this or you have to do that. But um, it's deeply, deeply seated in the culture. And they even have affirmative action. So if you're in a lower caste, you can get certain jobs. You can, um, more of you will be um, accepted into certain schools. I, I even heard somebody say, He's like, the reason so many Indians, like really smart Indians, go and study in the U.S. is because they have a harder time getting into colleges because of the affirmative action. Um, and, you know, I didn't do any further research, but I thought that was interesting. But um, but when I talked to the, like, our drivers and um, some of these lower caste people, they said, like, yeah. That's how it is. You marry within your caste, and there's no, there's zero upward mobility. There's no way you can change your caste. And then I talked to some wealthier people and they said, well, yeah, it's pretty like, it's kind of based on your heritage and your family, your lineage. And so that can't change. And I said, well, what if you win the lottery? Do you, are you all of a sudden top caste?" And they're like, no, you're still a lower caste." So, it's really interesting stuff. Um I'd have to really I feel like if I lived there for a while, I'd really start to understand it, but there's definitely some nuance, there's definitely some racial um tension because of it, some ethnic tensions. Um a lot of stuff I you know, I don't fully understand, but it was it was cool and interesting to kind of understand it better and understand how real it is. Um, the other thing that's crazy is, um, arranged marriages, (laughs) you know, and listen, arranged marriages have been around forever. You know, they're, if if you look in, in antiquity, they're very common, especially in Royal families. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but most of that practice kind of died out sometime in the 20th century in most countries. It became less about utility and more about love, right? And and the more you study arranged marriages in the past, the more you realize, well, no wonder everyone was unfaithful. <laughs> but because um, it's not like love didn't exist back then. They just married for utility and you married certain families and... Um, A lot of it had to do with things not involved with love. Um, But India has held strong, held really strong. So our buddies, our buddy that got married was technically an arranged marriage. Now, he said that they dated for a while, um, but his parents set him up. And I think his family and her family, they're a little more laissez-faire with the whole thing. Um, and they seem less concerned with casts and, and all these things probably cause they're wealthy, but, um, but yeah, his, you know, he was getting up in age. I think he was 30 and his parents were like, Hey, what are you doing, pal? We're going to start looking. And I think, you know, they would have been open to him marrying somebody else, but, they were kind of like, hey, we've got our eye on this girl. What do you say? And so, um, but a lot of people don't court at all. And and again, I asked my drivers, my tour guides, and I would always say, and you know, they were such lovely people, very open, very happy to just talk about whatever. And I would say, hey, so are, are you an arranged marriage? And they would say, yep arranged marriage, and I thought, wow, and, you know, I would ask, and um, I remember one of our tour guides said, yeah, my uh, my mom and sisters uh, set us up, and she's great, <laughs> and I was like, well, what happens if, you know, I'm all curious, I'm like, what happens if you you get set up, and you just don't like her, she sucks, she's busted, whatever, and he's like, well, I trust my mom and sister, they wouldn't set me up with somebody I wouldn't like, or I wouldn't be compatible with, I was like, okay, touche. I mean, I don't know that I trust my mom and sisters to set me up with a life partner. Um, but kudos to them. And, you know, I've, I've told some people since I got home about kind of this interesting phenomenon. And everyone's always like, oh, man, that would be so hard. I don't know how they make it work. I don't know how they just, like, fall in love anyway. But I think the main difference is That's just what, that's the expectation. They've they've grown up knowing they're going to be arranged. And so they're not, um, let's see. Oh, dang it. Um, video went out. Um, they're not worried about, it not being for them or not a good fit or you know, that's just what everyone does in their family and in their circles. So that's what they do. So um and it's interesting, you know, people people will argue, well, it probably works better because they have a much lower divorce rate. I think it's like three or four percent of Indians get divorced, but that's not really a fair assessment because it doesn't mean they're happily married, right? And it's really hard to quantify that and go around and ask a billion people how happy they are. But um, it's interesting to consider and think about. Um, it's just cool to realize how differently people live their lives and you don't have to agree with their ways, but you'd also don't have to disparage their ways and you don't have to think they're stupid You know, you can think they're silly or antiquated or not for you, but, you know, to better understand people, I think it helps to try and open your heart to to their ways. And maybe even, you know, I'm not saying you need to try their ways, but maybe think, well, maybe my ways aren't more correct. They're just, you know, a better fit for me or they're Hold on. You know they're a better fit for me, or they are more conducive for my lifestyle, or just more my culture. But um, anyway, if you're wa- if you're watching the video version, there's going to be a weird little gap in between. But don't worry about it. I'm just talking about um, culture. Arranged marriages, interesting stuff. Um, What else? Um, (laughs) I wrote down a couple things. There was something one of my drivers said. His name was Karan. And Karan was a boss. I really, really liked him. He was unbelievably polite. Every time we got someplace... He wouldn't say, okay, we've arrived, you can get out now, or, you know, please unbuckle and exit the vehicle. <laughs> he would just say, yes, please, yes, please, and that meant we're here, get out of the car. But, um, and he, his English was good enough, he could answer most of our questions, and, you know, he could talk to us all day, but, um, you know, his accent was thick and said a lot of things incorrectly, but he was so fun to talk to. And I remember just talking to him about being a tour guide and being around strangers for four or five straight days. And, and he said, um, he said, if you people happy, me happy. (laughs) And I thought such a simplistic view of things. And I know, you know, he didn't, maybe didn't have all the words to articulate exactly how he felt, but I like the whole, if you people happy, me happy, like what, talk about an easy way to be happy is to find joy in helping other people and, and being in other people's joy, but that that's hard to do. Most people only look for happiness in their own life, in their own achievements, in their own um, pleasures. But I think if you're like, well, if my friends are happy, I'm happy. If my coworkers are happy, I'm happy. If my family's happy, I'm happy. If people around me are happy, I'm happy. Not a bad way to live life. Not a bad philosophy. Um, just a couple more things. There was, you know, and I've seen this in a lot of other countries, but there was some pretty extreme poverty some pretty heart-crushing um, images we saw. And one of them happened, I think, the first day. Um, listen, it always breaks your heart when you see child beggars, kids on the street asking for money. And the more I talked to the locals, the more I realized a lot of them aren't necessarily homeless kids. They are just come from extremely impoverished families, and that's just what the kids do. They go hustle, you know? They go try and sell bananas on the street or they try to sell you little trinkets, especially in touristy spots. Um, magnets, you know, little little chess sets. <laughs> they, they will sell any and everything. Um, and then some don't even have those resources, so they just beg. But I saw a girl by herself in a very, very highly um, a, a high traffic area, motorcycles zooming by. This girl couldn't have been more than four years old. I would guess three. Barefoot, knocking on car windows, asking for money. And like, oh, more than anything, I was afraid she was going to get run over you know, and, um, and there's so many people flying by on motorcycles and bikes. And, you know, we were in this taxi cab and it's like, you can't even, we couldn't stop to help her if we wanted to. And if we did, I wouldn't know what to do with her, you know? Um, and, and maybe she had siblings or parents nearby, but I didn't see a soul and, you know, she was very dirty and very petite and it just broke my heart, broke my heart to see that. Um, <laughs> but I think sometimes it's good to see things like that to uh, remind you how good you have it, to remind you how much, like, the human race is just related. Like, I think when you feel for people, it's a reminder that, hey, that person's your brother, man. That person is is your sister, and you might have to do some wacky genealogy to find the connection, but man, we are all, you know, related in some way. We're all brothers and sisters, and it sounds hokey, it sounds trite, but it's true. And I think when you empathize with people and you sympathize and you see people's hurt, and it hurts you to see, that's a good reminder that you, you know, you're brothers your sisters. Um, so yeah, that hurt to see, but, um, I I was just so grateful for the whole trip. It was, it was a great time to be with two close friends, to spend some time away from, from work and, and the worries of my soul. (laughs) Um, and we had like a six hour layover in London, which was awesome. I'd never been, I had had a, I had like a 3 hour layover in London during my Greece trip and we hustled and just got to this little town and had food. And that was it. The only thing British about it was our waitress's accent. <laughs> um I just wanted to say I had been to England, but yeah, we had a long layover in London so we got to see all the stuff, so I had Big Ben, um Um, what's it called? Um, Westminster Abbey, um, Buckingham Palace, you know, all all the good stuff and, uh, Abbey Road and, uh, yeah. So London was cool. I wish we had had a little more time to like eat and kind of like, you know, sit in a pub or, or do something a little more than just touristy stuff, but it was cool. Got some good pictures. And I would I would like to explore England more, the UK more, especially like I know it's cla- you yeah know, it's cliche but I gotta get to Stonehenge you know, but I really love just getting on the outskirts of places that's where it gets fun, but um yeah I think that's about it. People have been asking me what is like you know where does India rank in my, in my travels. And cause India is my 21st country and this is hard because, you know, I talked about this a little bit after my Greece trip, but I think the longer you stay somewhere, the more you love it. And so it's, it's not really fair to compare like a nine day trip versus like a three day trip. Like England is just not that high because I was there for six hours. Um, Brazil is like incredibly high. I lived there for two years. Um, United States doesn't really count because lived here my whole life. Um, you know, Greece, I was there 10 days. Italy, I was there probably four or five days. Um, and so I always say a couple of my favorite countries are Poland and Croatia, but I was only in both of those for a few days. Um, so yeah, I don't know. India, I, I gotta think it's in my top five and in no order. I would also put like, yeah, Poland, Croatia, India, Greece, and I'm going to leave Brazil out just because it's a whole other category having lived there. Um, I would say either Switzerland or Italy. So, uh, yeah. Welcome to the top five, India. It's good to have you. The food. listen, the food was great. Um, only recently have I gotten into Indian food. A friend of mine served as LDS Mission in India. He kind of got me into it. There's a couple really good authentic Indian restaurants here in Utah. Um, and uh but I didn't know. I was like, is this really authentic? But it is. Um and I'm pretty I'm pretty basic with my Indian food. I like you know, chicken tikka masala, um, the naan is always amazing. They often have the, this, um, what's it called like a mango lassi. It's kind of like, I don't know if it's lassi or lassi or whatever, but it's kind of like a mango smoothie. Um, I think it's a little bit milk based, but, um, yeah, the food there was amazing. A little spicy, meaning everything you ate every day was spicy. And so, a little rough on the tum-tum. Um, I can handle spicy food. And I actually like it. But I like it going in. When it enters my mouth, I'm happy. When it exits my body, it's got a mind of its own. And it get, and it, it can get violent. So, I didn't have any crazy stomach problems. But I, I, I saw a lot of different toilets in India. Um, and... It's funny, the only toilet there that had, was basically a hole in the ground, and you had to squat, you had to do the Asian squat, was in the Delhi airport, so it was the first toilet I used in India, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a long trip, like, I like to, you know, I like to go to the bathroom, I like to take my time, but I'm not used to this squat, like, this is burning my thighs, this is, you know... This is not. This is not it. But um, it, it ended up being okay. Um, but yeah, had a few. You know, I I tried to try new things. But a lot of things just felt like different variations of spicy curry or whatever, vegetable curry or whatever. Um, what I didn't realize, I knew. I knew that they didn't eat beef, right? Cuz cuz cows, cattle are sacred to them in the Hindu religion, which I learned a lot more about, but I still Hinduism is crazy complicated. It's crazy complicated. But I think it behooves mankind to understand more about things that are so common to so many people, right? Um There's so many (laughs) Hindus in the world. There's over a billion. That's all you have to say. Um, Same with uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. These really basic core belief systems that millions and millions, if not billions, believe in, wouldn't hurt to know a little bit more about, right? So it, it was cool to learn more. They have so many gods, so many complicated ceremonies their temples are complicated. Um, and I'm sure Christianity is weird and complicated to them. But you want to make a religion complicated, you know, have thousands of gods. That'll make it complicated real quick. But um, I learned, and and don't quote me on this, because there might be other uses or cultural practices. But I've always been curious about the red dot. You know, you see the red dot on the forehead, um, by women and men alike, sometimes on kids. And I'm like, "Is that just mean they're devout? Or does that mean they're married? Well, you know, cause you, you'll see Indians without it. Um, but what I realized is they put that red dot on you when you go into temple. And a lot of them go to temple every day because there are temples everywhere. Cause there's temples for individual gods. And a lot of them are really small and they're inside cities, and they're right next to Seven Eleven, or, you know, they're everywhere. It's not, you don't have to make a pilgrimage to the temple. They're everywhere. So, a lot of really devout Hindus go to temple every day, or almost every day. So, um, you get dotted up right before you enter the temple. So, um, we actually got dotted up, Um you know, v- visiting a temple, and but you know what? They also dotted us up during one of the ceremonies at the wedding, and there was not a temple involved. So, it might also be just any ritualistic thing. Um, I know it has to do with Hinduism. It's not just being Indian or or the culture. It's it's a Hindu practice. But um, I thought it was cool that they were cool with dotting us up, even though we weren't Hindu. Because we were just showing respect and, you know, trying to be interested in in what they believe. And it wasn't... I felt like they had... There were zero Indians that felt like, oh, this is cultural appropriation. It's like, no, we are white Americans um, trying to immerse ourselves in your culture. So what? And so... Cause it was the same thing at the wedding. Like we wore classic Indian outfits and headdresses. You know, I wore like a turban on, on my buddy's wedding night and no one thought, Oh, this is cultural appropriation. This is inappropriate. They're white. They shouldn't be wearing that. They like loved it and, and respected it and took pictures with us. And it was, it was cool. And I really liked that attitude Uh, this whole, like cultural appropriation thing to me is usually BS. Like, if you're dressing up or or whatever trying to make fun of another race or another culture that's one thing but if you're doing it because you're like I like this culture I like their that religion I like how they do things so I'm going to kind of mimic it I don't like <laughs> I just don't see a problem with it and if you want to get offended be my guest be my guest but um I don't I don't find a lot of utility in searching for reasons to be offended. Um, So yeah, that was cool. A couple other interesting things I surveyed there. Um, There was, we started to notice that a lot of babies had like um, mascara on, (laughs) Like, like all around their eyes. And so we asked our driver, And he said that they do that to ward off evil spirits, um, and from people like capturing their souls by looking into their eyes and I'm sure it's a little bit more complicated The the belief, um, I'm sure there's things I'm, I'm leaving out, but, um, but it was interesting because I saw a lot, you know, not all babies, but a lot of babies had it. And I was like, how come your babies are wearing makeup? Is it just to look cool or what's up? And uh, so, yeah, that was cool to learn about. And then, um, what else? Yeah, there there were just some cool things that were like, <laughs> they're very superstitious people. And, you know, that's, that's complicated to kind of unpack because it has to do perhaps with religious beliefs, but a lot of it is probably cultural and handed down and oral traditions and, you know, it's, um, there's no simple way to kind of say, oh, that's why they're superstitious, but a lot of people would in like their little businesses or on their, in their car, they would have a dangling like lemon and then a few peppers. And that was supposed to like give you good luck um, and help you prosper. And, you know, I thought that was cool. You know, I'm not, I'm like Michael Scott on The Office. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. You know, I don't, I think a lot of superstition is kind of placebo effect. You know, I don't know that in and of itself, these things have powers, but I believe in the power of thought and the power of belief, right? So anyways, India, the subcontinent was amazing. Um, For better or worse, the more you travel, the more you want to travel. So I was thinking on that trip, well, where's the next place I really, really want to go? And I don't know. I think my, my buddy I was with had recently gone to Egypt and he was talking about that a lot. So that's that's definitely up there. You, I mean, you got to see the pyramids, right? You got to see them. Um, but I really want to go to Turkey. Man, I want to go to Turkey. And I don't even like Turkey. Tur- I mean, Turkey's fine, but it's no ham, you know? It's no pastrami. Certainly not pepperoni. And the fact that we eat it every Thanksgiving is, is a little discouraging. But the country, I'm about. I'm trying to get there. So, and Turkey's not always safe. But I'm going to go to Turkey. Anyway, um, listen, I'm really excited about the pod right now. I got this new, you know, these new fancy mics. Look at these. Um, they're really nice. For a while it, <clears throat> for a while I've just had kind of one ghetto little snowball mic that I've been sharing with guests. So the audio probably hasn't been pristine. Um so I hope things will improve. But um, yeah, I'm just excited to to get this thing going and, and kind of invest more in it. Financially, sure, but just invest more effort and more passion into it. So I appreciate those that listen and share with friends. Um, you know, that's the main way the pod can grow is, is getting new listeners. But for those who have been listening, it means the world to me. It really does. So uh, we will talk to you soon. This is of Stone and Clay, episode 50. We did it. Listen, most podcasts don't get 50 episodes. You know, most people that start podcasts do a few and give up or lose interest. But um, we're in this thing for the long haul, okay? So happy 50th and uh, love you guys. We'll talk to you soon.